1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of fight back from the week that was the week began with frustration and confusion among Toronto residents 80 and older when they learned people in the city's homeless shelters would be given access to the COVID-19 vaccination before them. Weeks ago, people 80-plus living in the community were added to the province's priority list for COVID-19 vaccinations. In York and Peel regions, along with Hamilton, not to mention Quebec, Alberta, and BC, the oldest demographic is being given access to bookings and actual vaccinations. But if you are 80 plus and live in the community here in Toronto, and you're not part of a pilot project or on a special list at some of the hospitals, you have to wait until the third week of March to get your first shot. Here's how the discussion around this went down on Monday when Libby Zneimer was joined by our Zoomer squad, Peter Mugrich, senior editor at Zoomer magazine, Bill Van Gorder, interim chief policy officer at CARP, and David Kravitz, chief marketing officer at CARP and vice president at Zoomer Media.
2: I have no way of understanding this. Uh, It's one thing to say if we have a priority list of more than one category because we have enough vaccines. Okay. But I have absolutely, uh, I don't, I didn't, I knew the news. I saw the news. I didn't see what their rationale was. So you're asking people over the age of 80 to wait. We haven't even started on, on that group yet. And, um, this is a complete mystery to me. Perhaps some of my, uh, my other uh, panelists or your guests would explain it but it's on the face of it it's uh, crazy bill
3: well it, it, David David's right it's really hard to believe right from the beginning and and I hate to keep repeating this but but the uh, the province said and the city of Toronto said they would follow the guidelines from the National uh, uh, Advisory Committee on immunization which clearly says that adults uh, over 70 years of of age should get it first and the group that they're talking about adding now are in the second uh, stage. Those uh, in living conditions that are risk for infection. And, and why they would do that, uh, uh, well, I, I, I did read what they said. They said that uh, many of these people were living in close quarters and they might be more likely to contract the disease. But what the NASI guidelines are based on, on who's liable to die from it. And younger people even living in those conditions are not as likely as the older uh, Torontonians who are waiting and were promised the vaccine first. So it's not why politically we would start changing what the best medical advice is, is, is beyond comprehension.
4: I don't think the province, which released a whole list of people in phase one of priority. I don't, it didn't say put homeless people above older people, Peter. It did
5: not. Yeah. And, and, uh, the, the question to Libby is, um, you know, how are we going to reach out to them? Because they're they're by nature very itinerant. You know, they move around. They have these camps. They, uh, you know, they they have no fixed address. They don't have health cards. Um, they're dealing with addiction issues. Uh, you know, they don't have cell phones or emails or or anything. A lot and, of them and, do
4: have cell phones. Yeah, and, but,
5: and... but very few. And I just don't understand how it's going to roll out to the home. I I can see doing a side project, but but you know, making them a priority, is going to be very difficult to fulfill, I think.
4: Well, they, they say they're going to do it with mobile clinics. You know, the mobile clinics that they couldn't take into long-term care? Right. <laughs> uh, and they have been taking mobile clinics. I mean, there have been a, a, a couple of buildings, um, uh, I believe city-run uh, buildings for seniors that were part of a pilot project, which was like winning the lottery. And they also got vaccinated from mobile clinics. But you had to be part of that pilot project,
5: right, and it was stopped after we uh, we ran out of vaccines, right
4: uh, I am not sure about that, but I, I think that uh, uh, the the buildings that were in that pilot project got vaccinated at least with the first shot yeah. so um, and and uh, it 's fantastic, but I mean, I am getting all kinds of questions among them, you know, and with the prioritization of, of many kinds of healthcare workers, you know, people are saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 85. Why is my 30-year-old massage therapist getting vaccinated before me, David?
2: There's no good answer. And um, it seems to me that it, it goes back to the fragmentation of decision making, the different rules in different places, the different voices in the room at the table, who they listen to, who they don't listen to, political expediency all rolled into one, multiplied by, we don't have enough vaccines yet, we hope they're coming, we're told they're coming. Um, So you have, you know, a recipe for exactly the kind of chaos we're seeing.
1: David Kravitz, Chief Marketing Officer at CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media. Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. And Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Fight Back's Monday Zoomer Squad. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Also on Monday, Fight Back went to Toronto Board of Health Chair Joe Cressy to find out why it seems as though residents 80 and over have been pushed back in the lineup for COVID vaccinations. Libby asked Joe Cressy, why would residents of Toronto's shelter system get vaccinated ahead of people 80 and older who are the most likely to die of COVID-19?
6: It's actually not the city of Toronto, but the province that determines the order of priority for vaccinations. And so very quickly, here's how roles and responsibilities around vaccines work. It's a relay race, effectively. It is the federal government that procures the supply of vaccinations. And then it is the local provincial governments that determine the order of priority, the all important question of Who's next in line and when do we get it? That's a decision by the province. And then at the municipal level, uh, the local public health unit and city, we work to help distribute those vaccines to get the needles in arms based on the provincial priority framework. So here's how, the, here's the priority list from the province right now. Uh, as, as our listeners will well be aware that the province um, articulated that the first order of priority was residents of long-term care and retirement homes. Right. So in the city of Toronto are 87 long-term care homes, more than 10,000 residents have now all been offered their second dosages. After long-term care and retirement homes, the province uh, instructed all of the public health units to proceed to healthcare workers. These are priority healthcare workers working in hospitals, working in the frontline healthcare response, uh, and also uh, that local public health units uh, should look at other high at risk congregate settings uh... of which that includes our shelter population uh... those over eighty thankfully because my goodness do we need to get vaccines into the arms of our seniors we know that those over eighty have been identified as the immediate next in line according to the province and so what's happening right now is that every single public health unit in the province is being given uh, a per capita basage of vaccine supply to roll out and it just so happens that about half of the healthcare workers in the entire province live in Toronto. And so you're starting to see a situation which can be confusing to many but is actually simply under simply clarified which is you have an area like Guelph starting to vaccinate people over 80 whereas in Toronto it's still healthcare workers.
4: Are you saying that the province is telling you to prioritize people in homeless shelters? over people over 80 who are most likely to die. That's a yes or no question. Is it the province that said that or is it the city that decided that it was more important to get to those, uh, you know, uh, admittedly at-risk population before getting to people in the community?
6: Uh, So the simple answer there, Libby, is that there is no directive throughout the entire province for when and how to prioritize shelter populations. There is discretion Uh, to prioritize high-risk congregate living sites, because we know, not unlike long-term care, that they're very risky. But the bottom line here, Libby, is I don't, you know, we want to have vaccines to go in every single person's arm today. That would be ideal. I mean, that's what I would love to see. But we're going to be dealing with an issue here of of supply. And so there is. it's important that we have COVID vaccines being rolled out as quickly as possible to the most vulnerable right away. And I don't think anybody disputes that. We all want supply to come quickly, uh, and we all want that to happen yesterday. And so what the city, what we have done, uh, we have uh, nine mass immunization clinics that we've been told to have ready by April 1st. Well, we're ready to go now. Five of them are actually already, they could be open tomorrow if vaccine supply came. Uh, We've partnered with our healthcare partners, the hospital sector and community clinics uh, to prepare for their vaccination clinics, which again, the minute supply is here, we'll be ready to go. I'm really not interested in pointing fingers at other levels of government right now. I just want to work together to solve uh, issues as they arise.
1: Joe Cressy, Toronto City Councillor for Ward 10, Spadina, Fort York, and chair of the Toronto Board of Health. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, is it the right decision to only give the AstraZeneca vaccine to people 64 and younger? We'll find out next.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau continues to tout very large numbers of COVID-19 vaccine doses are coming. At the same time, we're beginning to see unequal access to the vaccine as the provinces begin the process of inoculating people 80 and over. There is also unequal access happening right here in the GTA, with some 80-plus residents in Peel and York regions already vaccinated, while Toronto Mayor John Tory says those 80 and over here in the city need to wait until the third week of March because... We have excess frontline healthcare workers still waiting to get their first dose. In addition, there is the discrepancy here in our own country about the efficacy of the AstraZeneca vaccine. A week ago yesterday, Health Canada approved it for all adults. But then on Monday, the National Vaccine Advisory Panel advised it should not be used for people over 65 because there is limited data to its efficacy in older people. Confused? You're not alone. On Tuesday, Libby Snymer was joined by our strategy panel to discuss Charles Souza, former Ontario finance minister, John Capabianco, senior vice president and senior partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road, and Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village. Uh, you know, the government
7: really has a way of making things extremely complicated um, by themselves. Yeah. <laughs> But by, the very own, like, by themselves. <laughs> so there's no question that we we know what we negotiated, delivery targets based on quarter instead of specific weeks. Okay, that was done. Now the vaccine's coming in. Um, to, to be honest with you, more announcements about the 20 more million doses we've ordered is really immaterial because they're not here. And the fact that every Canadian eventually can get three shots is doesn't matter because there is... It, the, the rollout is is still confused, and you know I think you brought up earlier, Libby, the Israeli government has had such success inoculating their citizenry. I don't understand why we just can't follow the models at work. And well, what they did is they made it simple: everyone over, everyone over ninety, everyone over eighty, everyone over seventy, everyone over sixty, and they got it done. And but now we're tripping ourselves up over you know subgroups and subclusters and sub. Communities and then oh, but they can only have this vaccine or that vaccine. They shouldn't have. You know, it's enough to make your head spin. Well, and it's from someone I... again who just wants to be. You know, get some notice. Like, when can we reopen? <laughs> right? It's so discouraging, beyond words.
4: John bianco Well, it's it's frustrating. Karen's
8: right that it's confusing without it without a doubt. And, and and I hear that they want to, and I know and understand and I hear that they want to get out there and they want to be able to say. Look, like we're getting more vaccines. We've got more commitments. There's more doses coming in. Uh, you know, given that Canadians are are literally waiting and hearing and wanting to know about this information, I think it's important that they get out there. But it becomes a, a really strained uh, messaging uh, perspective when you hear that, and then you hear from. The presidents or the, the various leaders of these pharmaceuticals companies who are saying well i can't we can't guarantee that there won't be a stoppage at some point and i guess that they have to say that because there's never a guarantee that they're going to be able to ship these out and it's not helping when the government does say something because people then turn to it and say well who do i believe you know you're hearing things in the u.s with dr fauci saying one thing about you know doses doses shouldn't be spread too far apart from each other you know specifically the vaccines that are, um, uh, Pfizer and Moderna, which, which are involved in two doses. And some places are saying, well, we're going to try to extend the period by four months instead of whatever weeks it is that you need to, because they want to make sure more and more people get at least one dose of it. And then you're hearing, well, no, nobody should be doing it. So it is conflicting and, and it's causing a lot of anxiety. And, and that's the challenge. You know, we all want governments to we want to will them to make sure this all works, and that people get get the vaccinated, get vaccinated as soon as possible. But these conflicting messages is, does it not help governments. Or does it does not help Canadians.
4: Charles?
9: Yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, anecdotal. here, personally, my, my uncle, uh, he's 85 years old, and his wife, my aunt, is also in her 80s. They're elderly. They're good, though. They're in good form. They're living alone, and they're calling me saying, We don't want to go into a vaccination unit and, and wait in a lineup. We don't want to get exposed to, 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 to COVID by going for a vaccine. And so the rollout. While there seems to be more confidence in its ability now, given that there's availability of vaccines coming on stream, this mixed uh, messaging, uh, this notion of the three phases that are being before us, it is convoluted. And, you know, does the grocer get a vaccine now? I mean, they're on the front lines, too, to some extent, They're being exposed. The Ontario Chamber of Commerce came out today with a report saying the United States have vaccinated one day more than all of Canada combined. And so we just need to get those needles in those arms and, uh, and just simplify the process. Don't provide confusion to those that are in need of support. Uh, just start establishing those dates and just get it done. And I, 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 frankly, September worries me. We people need these now, right? This notion of us having to wait too long. But I get it. There are, there are more vulnerable individuals that deserve to have it done but they're afraid to have it done or they don't even know when to have it done or where to have it done. So that's the part that's confusing to many.
1: Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road, and Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village. This is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. The recommendation on Monday from Canada's National Advisory Committee on Immunization that the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine not be used on adults 65 and older came as NACI's counterpart in France reversed that guidance based on real-world experience. Later in the week, Germany did the same. British researchers have published preliminary findings that one dose of either the Pfizer or AstraZeneca vaccine reduced hospitalization risk for adults over 70 by 80 percent compared to those who were not vaccinated. Fightback went to Dr. Alan Vaisman, epidemiologist at the University Health Network, to put this information in context for us.
10: As for the efficacy, where this all stems from is the original trial data in December looking at AstraZeneca. Not many people who are over the age of 65 are included in that trial. So many bodies, including France, as you mentioned, and Italy, Spain, the EU, had not initially recommended the vaccine for that age group. But since that vaccine has been rolled out, many elderly people have, in fact, been vaccinated against it, uh, vaccinated against COVID using that vaccine. And the data is now showing that there is actual good efficacy in that age group. So hence, when the Health Canada approval came out, it was a a statement saying that it is safe to give in that group. But NACI's statement is based more on the concrete data that's available to show that it's uh, effective.
4: Yeah, I get that. But it, it sounds like a very confusing situation for people who are contemplating getting the vaccine. I mean, we have just read 945,000 doses of this coming uh, this week, apparently. And uh, the rollout uh, in the community is supposed to go in descending order of age. So, you know, saying that it's not going to be useful for people over 65, if that is not Really, the case seems, it seems problematic. Uh, What do you think?
10: Right. So so NACI, um, their threshold or their assessment of the data may may be more of um, like a conservative approach than what Health Canada's assessment was. NACI provides recommendations to the rest of Canada about how the vaccine should be rolled out. Every province and other health units will decide on how they want to best do it. So it may, it'll come down to those units deciding on which people will get which vaccine using the guidance. We know that it's safe as per Health Canada. So if a unit feels that uh, based on the best available data that they can provide it to the elderly people in their units, then then that's probably what's going to happen. I think a practical approach will be taken across Canada to realize that these vaccines, regardless which one, the bottom line is that they prevent hospitalizations and they prevent deaths. And if the health units feel strongly, they will provide all these vaccines because it's the fastest and most effective thing to do to reduce the cases and bring the pandemic down.
4: And do you have a view on this?
10: I think the bottom line here is to get cases down as fast as possible. If, if the next of a vaccine that's available to you is the AstraZeneca and you're over 65, then there's currently good evidence to suggest that you should be getting that vaccine and that we should be getting that vaccine to as many people as possible. So as you mentioned, the France uh, has reversed their decision. It may be only a matter of time before other bodies do the same thing based on real world data, which supports this.
4: What's the difference between the clinical trial data and real-world data?
10: So sometimes in clinical trials, they, they may enroll only a narrow group of individuals to try to get the, the trial done quickly and to try to demonstrate efficacy uh, to the best degree that they can. But in the real world, a lot of people who are not included in the trials end up getting the vaccine, either due to preference or due to some health unit saying that it's safe to do so. So when you see drugs or vaccines being rolled out in the real world, you start to get actual data about whether it's effective in those groups. And that's what happened with the vaccine here with the AstraZeneca.
4: These are vaccines that use completely different technologies. Uh, the, the Pfizer, Moderna are this mRNA technology, which is brand new. Um, should, you know, people have questions about that. Does, does that? What kind of a difference does that make?
10: Certainly the the way that the vaccine is delivered to your cells, the way that the antigen is delivered is different with the mRNA being a genetic code and the AstraZeneca being what's called an inactivated virus, so kind of like a vehicle to carry the, the protein over to your cells. But in any event, regardless of the difference in the mechanism, we know that both are highly effective at preventing hospitalization and preventing death. And that's the bottom line when it comes to protecting the population. And when it, and so an individual is trying to make a decision or thinking about the data, I think that's the most important factor to consider. Plus, the safety data is very reassuring for both.
1: Dr. Alon Vaisman, epidemiologist at the University Health Network, in conversation with Libby Nimer on Tuesday. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Todd in Pennsylvania phoned in while listening to Fight Back on ZoomerRadio.ca with his opinion on the judge's ruling in the Toronto van attack.
2: I'm grateful for that judge in Canada because in the United States, victims of crime are left hanging because the perpetrators know exactly what they did. But yet oftentimes... They're found not guilty by reason of insanity. And that's just, in my view, unacceptable.
1: Dorothy in Mississauga came to fight back well-prepared with her questions on the COVID-19 vaccination process.
7: I am also dismayed by how the vaccine priority is being handled. The issue cannot be blamed solely on the lack of supplies. If Ontario had followed the national advisory committee recommendations that those who are most at risk should be done first, the oldest age groups would have received their first shots by now. We've also all heard about how some people are receiving the vaccine who are not the highest risk and who are not a frontline worker in high-risk areas. So my question is, I would like to know who is on the committee making the decisions and what statistics are they being used? Are they medical
6: statistics?
7: Secondly, why is Ontario not following the National Advisory Committee in distributing the vaccine? Why are the answers not transparent, considering that in Ontario, 96% of the deaths are people aged 60 and over?
0: And
1: now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Richard in North York who phoned to offer his opinion on who should be vaccinated against COVID-19 next.
2: Uh, I have difficulty understanding how the uh, homeless basically are taking priority. And I would add the comment that I agree that older people should be the priority, but there's another group of people that are totally forgotten. And those are disability people, people with pulmonary problems, Uh, People who are actually got serious lung problems that are going to work, they're in the community, making a contribution, doing their best, and they're not even talked about. Everybody talks about age, shelter people, and so on. But what about people with disabilities and pulmonary problems?
1: That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fightback.
0: The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeep Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.